But this Abishai was a valiant man. Notice in verse 19 it goes on, Was he not the most honored of, of the three? And therefore he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. And so even in these mighty men you see these different um, subsets of men. Other men um, having more influence over, over other groups of men. All exclaiming in his Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. David was nothing without his mighty men, and they were nothing without him. He was their leader, but a leader is nothing without followers, and David had the mighty men to follow him. These men didn't necessarily start out as mighty men. Many were some of the most distressed, indebted, and discontented people who followed David at Adullam Cave. David was always blessed when God brought mighty men alongside him to fight for him and keep him safe. As believers, we know that God also brings others alongside us to encourage us and protect us. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he finalizes chapter 23. Down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was in the stronghold, probably a cave. There's plenty of caves along um, in Judah and in the in the in the middle of the country, if you go to Israel with us in another year or so, <laughs> when we go over there, we'll drive by, we'll go in some of these places, you'll be able to see them for yourself. It's pretty amazing. So David was in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. David knew of a place, a place where the water was sweet that he had frequented many times. And as he's there in the cave of Adullam being holed up by the enemy, the Philistines, David just has this longing in his heart, oh, if I could just have a glass of water from that place. And he certainly didn't have any intention of, of actually following through with it because the Philistines were there and the Philistines were in Bethlehem where that water was. But notice, so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. And nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. And these things were done by these three mighty men. And think of the love that they must have had for their captain. 
I mean, really, this is the kind of thing that armies, the, 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 the armed forces in our country, this is, these are the kind of men that they need. It went way beyond commands, right? When, you're, when your platoon sergeant or whatever tells you you got to do this, you do it, you know. But to do something of your own volition because you knew it was the, the fleeting thought or the heart of your captain and you're willing to risk life and limb to accomplish it, that's, that's the kind of stuff that every king would love to have. Every king dreams to have men like this that respected him loved him and they not only just they not only feared david but they they really loved him because most people fear a king because they're a lot they're they're powerful and they can do things to you like throw you in jail but they loved david it went way beyond just the natural kind of thing and this event that we just read in verses 13 through 17 is only recorded here and also in First Chronicles chapter 11. And that's all we hear of it. But this is the kind of thing, these are the kind of loyal men that David had in a truly unique relationship. And it's very similar, actually, the loyalty and the, and the uh, devotion that these men had to David was very similar to the, the loyalty and devotion that David and Jonathan, remember, had. Remember what it told us in 2 Samuel chapter 1. As David wrote a song after he found out that Saul and Jonathan and his other sons had passed away, David wrote a lament or a song about Jonathan. And one of the verses, it goes like this in, in 2 Samuel one twenty six. He In the song he says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Yes. And David and Jonathan weren't gay. No, this was a love, a brotherly love, a respectful love that is beautiful. It is really beautiful, whether it happens between two men or two women or whatever, to have a, just a deep respect and a love and a devotion to that person. It could be a, a really close friend, and David and Jonathan were like that. And that's the kind of relationship these men, many of them, had with David. Jesus said in John 15, verse 12, he says, This is a, my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And these men were willing to lay down their life for, the, for, for David. And, and Jesus already laid down his life for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ proved his love for us. He went to the cross while we were yet sinners. Who else would do that for you? I don't know of anybody who would do that. Can you imagine that? That would be like having an enemy from the very beginning. They were born and they were your enemy. And they, got, they grew up and they were still your enemy. They hated you. They hated you. They hated you, hated you. And they did so many horrible things against you. And then for you to lay down your life for them. Folks, that is supernatural. You might give your life for somebody that you really love. But for somebody who was in, at enmity with you all your life? That's the love of God. That is agape love. That is a love that the world needs to see. It's the world, it's a love, the kind of, the kind of love that the world needs to know. And hopefully they get a glimpse of it through us. Because I believe that believers, born again believers, 
are one of the few people, one of the few agents in the world that God can really show that agape love through. If we would let his light shine through us. Instead of being angry and miserable and nasty, we can be loving and compassionate and caring and devoted. And that really takes something of us, doesn't it? That's an act of worship because what we do when we do that is we deny ourselves, we deny whatever we're feeling about somebody else, and we just do it because it's right to do. And we do it because Jesus would have done that for them. That's why it's so hard to turn the other cheek when somebody, you know, says something bad about you. You know, normally you just want to let them have it or speak evil of them. Easy to do. That's natural. Any, Any fool can do that. But to be able to actually keep your mouth quiet and rather just hold your peace, which is something I need to do a lot more. I need to learn this lesson over and over again. Perhaps you're with me on that but no greater demonstration of a person's love for you is when they are willing to die for you because here's the deal talk is cheap but actions demonstrate love a husband and a wife they can tell that they they can tell each other they love each other all day but until it it actually comes down to actions being performed that talk is very flimsy isn't it I can say I love you, but if I never do those things that please you, I can say I love you to my wife, but if I don't do those things that I know are on her heart, if there are things that I know just drive her crazy and I do nothing to amend those things, then my talk is pretty cheap, isn't it? It's just surface. And that's why love, especially even in the marriage relationship, is so important because that's the love that God has. It's other-centered. It's not concerned about self at all. Self is not even involved in it at all. It's benevolent. Long after the fireworks of the honeymoon are over, that's when a love between a husband and wife, I think, are really tested. When the, the, the waves of life come crashing in, the temptations come, the difficulties, the money tensions, the the problems with intimacy, whatever it may be, and all of a sudden it just comes in, and boy, that's when we're really tried. That's when our vows that we made on that wedding day come back to us, (laughs) and we have to be really careful. But let's demonstrate that love in all that we do. Notice in verse 18, continuing on with David's mighty men. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of another three. And he lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name from uh, among these three. And we know that David's half-sister, her name was Zeruiah, she had three sons. It tells us in 2 Samuel 2, verse 18, who they are. Joab and Abishai and Asahel, and these were all David's nephews. We know that Asahel was killed by Abner, but this Abishai was a valiant man. Notice in verse 19 it goes on, Was he not the most honored of, of the three? And therefore he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. And so even in these mighty men you see these different um, subsets of men. Other men um, having more influence over, over other groups of men. 
Sounds like an army, doesn't it? Isn't that what an army is? When you have captains and lieutenants, they all have uh, rule over men under them. And there's no different than that than what we see in David's life. And so Benaniah, verse 20, was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, Kabziel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, and so he went down with, to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and then killed him with his own spear. This is a pretty valiant guy. These are the kind of men that surrounded David. What a blessed man David was. And these things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name among the three mighty men. And he was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. And Asahel, verse 24, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty as well. And El-Hanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. And again, Asahel was David's nephew, his sister Zeruiah's son, who, remember, was killed as he was pursuing Abner. And Abner looked back at him, if you remember, I think it's recorded for us in Second um, Samuel chapter 2, verse 23. And Abner told Asahel, who he knew who, who this was, trying to come after him, and Asahel was a very light-footed guy. He was very limber and very quick. And Abner was getting to be an older man. And he told Asahel, he said, Asahel, you better stay away from me. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. He didn't want to kill him. And finally, Asahel wouldn't, he wouldn't stay back. And finally, Joab took a spear and, and killed him with it. And then it goes on in verse 25. And other men... Shama the Herodite, Elika the Herodite, Helez the Peltite, Ira the son of Ikesh the Tekoite, Abiezar the Anathothite, Mabunei the Hushathite, Zalman the Ahohite, Maharahi the Natophathite. I'm probably butchering these names because I'm an American in, uh, in, in Rochester, New York. But Heleb the son of Baana the Natophathite. Atei, the son of Ribai, from Gebeah, of the children of Benjamin. And Benaniah, a Pirathonite. Hidei, from the brooks of Gaash. Abi Elban, the Arbathite. Asmaveth, the Barhumite. Elihba, the Shalabanite, of the sons of Jashan. Jonathan. Shama, the Herorite. Athiam, the son of Sherar, the Herorite. Eliphalet, the son of Abish, uh, let me see, Ahasbei, the son of Maacathite. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilonite. Hezrei, the Carmelite. Peri, uh, let me see, Pera, whatever, the Arbite. Igal, the son of Nathan, of Zobah. Bani, the Gadite. Gadite, excuse me. Zalek, the Ammonite. Neharai, the, the Berothite, the armor-bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruiah. Ira, the Ithraite. Gareb, the Ithrite. And notice, the very last. And Uriah, the Hittite. Yes, Uriah. Do you remember Uriah? 
Uriah was Bathsheba's husband before David took her. And, da- and, and, and this, this list of men was probably made in the very beginning of David's reign. And, and these men were alive then. Of course, Uriah, uh, toward the end of David's life, actually, uh, he, he had died many years prior to this. But this was a man who was a mighty man of, of valor, who was one of David's mighty men. And yet David went in unto his wife. While he was fighting a battle out in the field, David, and they'd been out for several months, actually laying siege to another town, another people. And so they were away for a long time. And David, if you recall, in in Samuel 11 and 12, it tells us that David was out there looking around and he sees Bathsheba. Uriah's wife, bathing on the top of her house. Within eyeshot of the king's palace, I find that kind of interesting. But David calls for her, takes her to himself, has intimacy with her, has a relationship. And then she comes back and tells him, after a few weeks, while her husband is still out fighting the battles, she comes and says, "Uh, David, we got to... Look at the test. Look at the strip. There's two red lines. You're a daddy. He's like, what? And to cover up his sin, he has Uriah put to death. He has Joab set Uriah right in the front of the heat of the battle, and he is killed. And yes, and, and what's really unfortunate about this is that sometimes the greatest scandals and betrayals occur between those who are closest to you. You think about how David betrayed Uriah. And who was Ahithophel? We saw his name in here too, but he wasn't one of David's mighty men. But Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. And Ahithophel was one of David's counselors. And yet David, because of his sin, he betrayed not only Bathsheba, and she evidently was a willing participant, so we can't say that she is completely without fault here. But he certainly, David, had a lot of influence over her, a lot of power as the king. I mean, what woman wouldn't succumb to the king? But yet we see that sometimes the greatest scandals and betrayals occur between those who are closest to you. He betrayed Uriah. He betrayed Ahithophel, the man who was his counselor. And what about Judas? What about Judas and Jesus? A man who was close to him, his, who he knew fairly well. Judas betrayed Jesus. And what about Peter? Peter denied Jesus. He didn't betray him. Judas betrayed him, but Peter denied him three times. But people that he was really closest to, and we see that list here, and it reminds me of that. But you know, when you think of, we're not going to finish the last chapter, it's going to have to wait until next week. And I'm kind of glad because there's so much in this next chapter, um, there's no way we could uh, get through it. But be encouraged, you know. Read this chapter over again and look at First Chronicles 11 and compare 
these things and look at the differences, some minor differences. But I think it's really telling of David's last words. And, and, and that really encourages my heart and, uh, and also challenges me. And what are my final words going to be? David's words were nothing silly like some of those other last words that we read from modern day people. David simply proclaimed God's words, that God spoke to him. I think that's pretty awesome to consider. And David also, his last words was a a recapitulation of what God had already spoken to him about the promise that God made to him and to his descendants, ultimately going to Christ the everlasting covenant that God had given to David, irrespective, regardless of David's performance, God was going to do that. And I love that. So be encouraged. You're in good company. When I think of all the things that happened to David, and yet David is in heaven, and maybe you're here tonight and maybe you've really blown it, Maybe you've made some really bad mistakes in your life. You know what? To make a mistake is human. But what you do with that mistake is the most important thing. What do we do with our mistakes? Do we wallow in pity over them and allow them to bring us into uh, despair and, and, and sorrow and um, you know, uh, cause us to drink, find, you know, try to find happiness at the bottom of a bottle or the end of a joint or the end of a pill or or the end of a relationship, wherever that is. But to know that um, we can rest in the Lord. And no matter what you've done, God can still use you. He wants to use you. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the this passage of Scripture. Lord, I, I especially am impressed with the first seven verses of this. Of just those things that you spoke to David and, and the promises that he clinged to. And Lord, we pray that as we read your word that we would cling to your promises. Lord, the things that, John 14, verse 1 and 2, for instance. Lord, these precious promises, Lord, help us to hold on to them too and to be encouraged and to never be despairing even of the things that we see and even of our own mistakes and failures, God. if we, your, your word is so true and you've said it to us that if we sin, if we confess our sins, yet you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. May that be one of the things that I remember if I have that opportunity to speak my last words, that I could say, I know I'm going to heaven because of this. <laughs> I've confessed everything that I know of, and anything that I've forgotten is covered under the blood. So Lord, have your way with us tonight and tomorrow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good night. That concludes our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.